Um, those that are still here, we will, I believe, we'll stand and we'll affirm our uh, trust in God's word together. So if you are able, go ahead and stand and we will say, All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Um, I just want to reaffirm, it is so good to be here. It, is, it was good to sing with you already, to praise the Lord, to, together to behold Him in His glory. I'm glad that you are here. Um, and I'm glad that you can encourage me and those around you, even in your singing. Uh, I'm also I'm excited to be preaching today, and I will also be preaching the next four weeks as well. So while Pastor Sergey and his family are out resting on sabbatical, um, I get the, the privilege and opportunity to preach a series. So the start of the summer, we were blessed to hear from um, Dave Greiner and Dan Kerna and Emmanuel Forbes, uh, and that was, it was so good to hear God's Word preached from different people, uh, different perspectives. And now I get a chance to preach. Um, I'm grateful to Chatham for this opportunity and really for so much in my life. Um, Chatham has been a wonderful place for me to grow. Um, as, a, as a kid, I was able to grow here and come to know the Lord here, um, both through my parents and through other people who were here and, and mentored me. And now I get the chance to grow here as a pastor. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for your love and your support. I'm grateful for Pastor Sergey taking a sabbatical and the opportunity um, for, for me to preach. So if you are new and you are visiting and you don't like me, just stick around. Um, get to know me, then maybe you'll at least like me. I don't know. Um, so the series that we'll be doing, um, Come Hear a Story, Parables of Jesus. We'll be going through some of the parables of Jesus, not all of them. Uh, I don't have that long of a series. But we will certainly hit some highlights of the parables. Um, as we go through them, we will hear a lot about the kingdom of God. We will learn about the king. We will see as Jesus explains how the world works, how people interact with God and how people interact with his word. So we'll get started this morning by reading our parable. This morning we're going through the parable of the sower found in Matthew 13. So I'm going to read Matthew 13 verses 1 through 9. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, they were scorched, and, when they had, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Before we jump into the parable and before we see 
what Jesus has to say about it, which I'm thankful that Jesus interprets his own parable here. Um, and several other parables he interprets, which is fantastic. Um, but before we jump into that, we're confronted with a question that the disciples ask. And really a question that, that I had to ask as, as I started a sermon series on parables, which is why? Why parables? Why did Jesus speak to the crowds in parables? Why did he use them to teach? This is the questions that the disciples asked. Some people uh, may say that Jesus taught in parables and in stories because he's a good teacher, and people learn through stories and illustrations. So, of course, Jesus, as the master teacher and the master storyteller, would use stories as he teaches so that people will hear him and understand him. Well, yes and no. Jesus teaches in parables. He is certainly the master teacher and certainly the master storyteller, and he knows how people learn because he created them. He knows the power of story. After all, much of the Bible is written in story form. But it's not as simple as so people would understand him. In fact, Jesus tells us right after he tells this parable and the disciples ask the question, he, he says in verse 11, he uses parables so that people won't understand him. This is verse 11. He answered them, to you, to his disciples, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case is the prophecy of Isaiah. The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, have, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus here, he quotes from Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is a really famous passage. Um, it is, at least the first part of the chapter, is a very famous passage. Uh, this is during Isaiah's incredible vision of the Lord, where he's, he hears and sees the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. As Isaiah hears this, he cries out, Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. Then an angel touches, touches his lips with a coal from the altar, and he is cleansed. He is forgiven. We know that part, and we know this next part. Then God says, who will I send? Who will go for me? Isaiah says, here I am. I'll go. We stop there. Mostly because it's convenient. 
Um, but it's good, right? We want to, we, we do want to say that. We want to say, here I am, and I will go. And we want to see the glory of the Lord. But God goes on. God says to Isaiah, no one's going to listen to you. Go make their hearts dull. Go make their ears heavy and their eyes blind. Jesus says, I speak in parables because people won't understand. As they hear the word of God, there are people who will harden their hearts. They will plug their ears and they will close their eyes. There are people who do not understand. Jesus is explaining how the world works, how people work. So one reason that Jesus speaks in parables is so people won't understand. However, Jesus also says to his disciples in that same passage that they have been given the secrets of heaven, that they have eyes to see and that they have ears to hear. And then later on, in the same chapter in verse 35, Matthew writes, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So Jesus also speaks in parables to reveal the secrets of heaven, to utter what has been hidden since the foundations of the world. Some people will hear Jesus' parables. Some people will hear God's word, and they will understand. They will grow. They will be changed. Jesus reveals hidden things, secret things of the kingdom through his stories. And if people have ears to hear, if we have ears to hear, if you have ears to hear, you will hear things so amazing that the prophets the very people that said, thus says the Lord, and spoke for God. The things that you hear, the things that I hear, the things that we have, they longed to hear, they longed to see. We will hear, see, hear things so incredible. Jesus is explaining why parables. And this parable is also kind of an explanation of that. Jesus says some people will listen and some people won't. His parables both hide God's truth from people who don't want to hear it, and it reveals God's truth to those who have ears to hear it. God's word is salvation to those who believe, and a stumbling block and a rock of offense to those who refuse to believe. As we read last week in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7-8, through 8, So honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. God's word goes forth and it accomplishes God's purpose. It does not return void. But God's purpose may be different. Do you have ears to hear? The gospel goes out. It goes out into the world. If you are here this morning, God's word has come to you. If you are listening online, God's word has come to you. Not because I am anything special, but because God's word, scripture, 
is very God, the very word of God. Do you have ears to hear it? Or do you have a hard heart to reject it? Now, let's look at the explanation that Jesus gives for his parable. This is found in Matthew 13, starting in verse 18. Jesus says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it becomes, it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. I'm so glad that Jesus explains his parables, at least this one, not all of them, but, but we have the greatest commentary ever written as God himself explains his words. As we look at his explanation, we'll first look briefly at the seed and how it's sown, and then we will look at each type of soil, the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and then the good soil. So let's start by looking at the seed and how it's sown. The first thing I notice about this parable, as I think about gardening and planting crops, uh, which I'm not good at either, I've never planted crops, I'm not a fan of gardening. I love the beauty of gardening, but I struggle with the work. There's a lot that could be unpacked there in my life uh, about that. But as I think about this, I, it, it seems odd to me that the seed goes in so many different places. As I did some digging, uh, I first learned that these four types of soil would be very familiar to Jesus' listeners. Some of the farmers would probably have all four types of soil where they plant. So this is, this is normal. Um, everyone has a path. The path is where you walk. You trample down the dirt. Um, and the farmer would, would walk along, and they would have a bag of grain, and they would take it out, and they would spread it around in their hand. Not, a, not an exact science, not planting one by one, but just kind of spreading it around through the grain. Um, and inevitably, some of the seed that is sown, it lands on the path as they walk. Others, the farmer may not be aware of. Rocky soil, the rocks are not like on top. The farmer's not like throwing seed on a rock. The rock is underneath the soil. It's hidden. The soil has a, it's a shallow level of soil and then rock underneath it. So the farmer may not know as he scatters the seed. And thorns... Well, no one would go to a big patch of thorns and be like, here's a good place to plant. Uh, instead, the thorns are, are most likely still seeds themselves in the ground. They haven't grown yet, so the farmer is unaware that there are thorns there. So as the farmer sows his seed, he will then find out where the good soil is. The good soil is where it grows, 
where it produces a crop. And as I think about this, I think about the goodness of God, who sows seed indiscriminately. God reveals his word to people. He says, here is my word. It goes out. It goes to the path. It goes to the rocky soil. It goes to the thorny soil. And it goes to the good soil. God is a good and generous God. He shares the good news of the kingdom with all types of people. And so should we. We don't know where the good soil is. We can't know by looking at it. We just know that the gospel is good and that everyone should hear it. I also want us to notice, as I noticed, that the seed is the same seed on each type of soil. If it falls on the path or the rocky ground or the thorny ground or the good soil, the seed does not change and the goodness of the seed does not change. The power of the seed or the effectiveness of the seed does not change. We learn that the seed is the word of the kingdom. Luke tells us that the seed is the word of God. I think plainly, most plainly, it refers to the good news of the gospel. The good news that the kingdom of God has come and that sinners can be redeemed. Humans can be forgiven. Our relationship with the God of the universe can be restored. This is the best news that we can ever hear. Fundamentally, we all know that there is something wrong with the world. It's not hard as we look around, as we see war and suffering, as we see oppression, as we see our bodies deteriorate and the loved ones that we know suffer. We know fundamentally something is wrong with the world. And as we are more honest, that's the easy part, that's to say something's wrong with the world. We also know, fundamentally, when we are honest with ourselves, that we are not what we should be. That there is something wrong with us. We do not love the way that we were meant to love. Our relationships with our family and friends are not what they should be. Our hearts are not what they should be. Our actions are not what they should be. Yet, as we know that things are not what they should be, it's because we know there's something else. There's something better. This shows that we are made for something more. We are made for Jesus. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Genesis tells us that we are created in the very image of God. And we were created good. Hear me. You are created in the image of God. To reflect his glory. You were made for him. Yet we know the world's not right, and we know we aren't who we should be. That's because of sin. Rebellion against God and his word. Sin takes what is good and perverts it 
It infects it. It destroys it. It leaves death where life should be. What's wrong with the world and what's wrong with us? Sin. Rebellion against a good and loving king. Not just small mistakes that we make, but treason against the almighty God. We build our house on a foundation that cannot stand, and then we wonder why the world crumbles around us. We wonder why we are hurting others and why we are hurting ourselves. This is because of sin. Okay, so, so far, that's not very good news. That's what we already know. We know that the world is broken. We know that we are broken. The good news is the word of the kingdom. The word is that the king has come to make everything right. King Jesus has come to redeem his people, to restore our relationship with him, to make us new, to make all things new. King Jesus became sin and died on the cross so that we might become his righteousness. King Jesus rose from the dead because the author of life is greater than death. This is the best news ever. Are you worried about where the world is going? King Jesus will make all things new. Are you frustrated with yourself? With your selfishness, with your anger, with your lust, with your heart? Jesus will make all things new. This is the best news ever. Now we know if we are in Christ, that, that is not a, um, an instant process where we no longer struggle with sin, where you become a Christian and then suddenly you are perfect. We are presented as perfect in, in Christ because we are in him. It is his righteousness, not ours. But we also know that there's the process we call sanctification of becoming more like him. We still sin. We still hurt others. We still, the world is still broken, and we are still a part of that brokenness. But just as King Jesus died and rose again, the good news of the kingdom is that King Jesus is coming back to rule and reign perfectly. All things will be made right. All things will be made new. So why are there people who don't see this as the best news ever? Jesus tells us it's not because of the seed. It's not because the gospel wasn't powerful enough. It's also, and praise God for this, it's also it's not because the presentation wasn't polished enough. It's because the soil wasn't good. Do you have ears? Then hear the good news of the gospel. Repent from your sins and turn to the living God. Now let's look as Jesus explains the rest. Let's look at the soil. First, we'll look at the path. In verse 18, Jesus explains, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away 
what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The path is hard. As people pack it down from walking over it, if seed falls on it, it just sits on the top of the soil, waiting to be eaten by the birds. A hard heart is unwilling to accept God's word, and so they don't understand. Then Satan comes and snatches it away. This is what a hard heart leads to. The unwillingness to listen to God's word allows the enemy to take it away so that we don't understand. The enemy is real. Satan is real. And wants for people to rebel against God. Wants them to not understand who God is. Wants to keep people from God. A hard heart makes this easy. Do you have a hard heart? Are you so sure of yourself that you don't even give God's word a chance? Do you dismiss it outright? That stuff's archaic. It's old. God didn't really speak that. Are you so calloused that as God's word is spoken to you as you read it, that it goes in one ear and out the other and is snatched away by Satan? I encourage you, soften your heart. Humble yourself. Hear the very word of God and salvation offered to you. Or, later, you will hear the very word of God proclaiming judgment on you. God's word will accomplish its purpose. It will not return void. If you reject the gospel, if you reject God, later on that will be used as judgment. Now, Let me talk to the Christian as well. Are you hard-hearted? Have you become entrenched in your ways so that God's word just rolls over you? Do you read your Bible and just move on with your day? That was nice. Check. Move on. Or maybe you say, I've read this a hundred times. I don't really need to think about it. I wonder what so-and-so said on Facebook. We move on. Or, and this is, this is sobering and it's sad, is your heart so hard that you won't even read God's word? Have you become calloused that we discard God's word as something that might be nice to do sometime, someday, but I don't need it today. I've got more important things to do. We need to hear the word of God fresh. We need ears to hear. We need to turn to the Lord and be healed. My encouragement to you, to me, comes from our call to worship, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
Are you alive? Are you breathing? Do you have ears? The Lord is near. Seek him. Next, let's look at the rocky soil. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. This person is shallow in their heart. When they hear God's word, they are excited about it. After all, it's the best news in the world. Who wouldn't be excited? But it never gets deep inside of them. They have a surface-level interaction with God's word. They have a surface-level interaction with God. Not a life-changing submission to the king of the universe. At first, they are excited. They may even make some changes. This may last a while. They're growing. But the growth is shallow because the roots are shallow. If a plant has shallow roots, again, many of you know this way better than I do, but if a plant has shallow roots, it can't get moisture from deep in the earth. So as the sun comes up and the rain doesn't come, it withers. It can't reach deep down to grab hold and to suck up the the moisture. This person will seem like a Christian until things get tough. When it's easy to follow Jesus, they will walk that way. When it gets tough, they will turn away. And things can get tough in so many different ways. It would be impossible for me to to go through them all, or even most of them, but I want to attempt to mention some, some common tough things that we go through, that people go through, that people fall away from. I'm also, I'm, I'm well aware that, that as we read through this parable, as we think of these types of soils, we are, are thinking of other people. I encourage you, don't only think of other people. Think of your own heart as well. See where your heart is hard. See where your heart is rocky or thorny. Rejoice where your heart is good. But at the same time, those of us that are in Christ, we know people who have fallen away, who sprang up for a little bit at first, And then when things got hard, or when riches seemed appealing, they went away. So I know that this may be painful for us to listen to. I'll address some of that at the end, but, but I can't help but think of that as we think about some of these difficult situations, um, these trials and tribulations. A common one is sickness or death of a loved one. Sickness of yourself or someone you love and Um, or death of someone you love, not of yourself. Um, That's a big trial, but we've got to deal with it before we get to that part. It's easy to think, how could God let this happen to me or to the one I love? We see so much pain. We see so much suffering. God must not be good, or God must not be there, or God must be punishing me. God must not be just, Or, if this is where God is leading me, I want no part in it. People fall away. I don't minimize sickness or death. These are hard things that we go through. Another is persecution. 
If it is no longer socially advantageous for me to follow Jesus, so I won't. I don't want to make light of that. Persecution arises in lots of different levels. It can be as simple as, my friends aren't following Christ anymore, so I won't follow Christ. Or it can be as big as, my family has threatened my life. I have lost my job. There are threats of violence against me. I'm an outcast. These are difficult things. That if you don't have deep roots, you will wither. We will wither. If the root is shallow, the plant dies. You need good soil. You need the word of God to grow in your life, to grow and produce fruit, to weather the difficult times when they come. Another one that is uh, unfortunately much more common than it should be is hurt from other Christians. Hurt from our family hurts the most. When the ones who should love us and support us and hold us up bring us down and hurt us. It's a common thing to say. If that's what Christianity is, I want no part of it to get rid of everything that they are with and they represent. It's really easy to do. And if we're honest, the church hurts people. We hurt people. We are broken people. We contribute to that. It's easy to be like, yeah, those awful people who aren't really Christians out there misrepresenting God. And there is that. But we also have to acknowledge I'm a part of that. I hurt people. I hurt my family. I hurt those who I love. Now, the first thing to notice is that's not Christianity. That's not how it should be. That is not what God calls us to be. That is the sin that is left in our lives. That is evidence of a hard heart or a rocky heart or thorny heart. We as Christians need to be... um, tilled and worked by God until our whole heart is good soil. If this is you right now, if you've been hurt by the church and you're wondering, where do I go? I encourage you, let God's word pierce you deeply. Dig deeper into who he is and to his word. Do not be content with a surface level relationship with God. Do not be content with a surface-level relationship with his people. Cry out to him. And if you've been crying out, don't stop. Cling to Jesus with all your might. Please do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. But if your roots are shallow, when you are hurt, you turn away. You say, that's not worth it. That pain, I don't want to experience that again. But the reality is, is if you abandon Jesus because you are hurt with the church, you will experience that pain and much greater when Jesus comes back. Not only that, 
because I don't want it to all be bad news. Not only that, but if you stick with Jesus, if you dig deep, if your heart is good soil and you cling fast to him, you will experience relationships as they are meant to be, where the church will not bite and devour each other, but that we will love and support. We will point each other to Jesus constantly and continually. Another one, uh, here I'll probably start moving a little quicker, but another one is, is, is smaller, or it seems smaller, um, but it's also a common one. Maybe nothing big in your life. Maybe no big sickness. Maybe no big persecution. No, no close people to you have died, or you haven't questioned in that, but life just hasn't turned out how you thought it would. You thought you'd be someplace different in life. Or you thought that God had promised you something that he hadn't. That if I do this, then God will do this. So you've been hurt, so you turn away. God didn't keep his end of the promise. My life is not where it should be. God must not be good. So we turn away. Trials may seem big, or they may seem small. But they come. They test us. Where are your roots? When life doesn't turn out where, the way it should be or the way you thought it should, are your roots shallow because your relationship with God was shallow because you expect him to work on your timetable? Or do you submit to King Jesus and say, Jesus, your plan for my life is what is good for me? The difference between the true Christian and the rocky soil it's not that testing and tribulations come. It's not that persecution comes. It's how we handle it. The good soil, the ones who have a deep and vibrant relationship with Jesus, grow stronger in their relationship because they realize he is all we have. They see hard times being used by God to shape them, to show them the truth, that we are dependent on God more than we thought, more than we knew. God is like a surgeon cutting out the cancer in our lives that will lead to death. It may be painful. We may not understand it. But we cling to Jesus because he is life. Next, let's look at the thorny soil. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. In John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian has to pass through what's called Vanity Fair, where you can buy whatever you want. Anything you want, you can get. Whatever fleeting pleasure there is, it's, all, it's sold at Vanity Fair. The enemy set this fair up to trap pilgrims and keep them from progressing, to keep them walk, walking on their journey. And it works. There are pilgrims that go there and they get stuck. They end there. I would encourage you to read Pilgrim's Progress. It's a fantastic book. Um, Beth and I have, have been reading it in various forms to our kids. There's lots of special kids' versions out there, uh, which are also great. I'm encouraged each time we read through it or a new version of it. But this here, this, this thorny soil, vanity's fair, this should be a sobering warning to us. We live 
in an incredibly wealthy nation, in a time where we have so many conveniences that are accessible through money. I was talking to my kids the other day um, and, and saying that we eat like kings. They don't think so, but they don't know. They don't know what's good yet. We eat like kings. We have access to spices that for so much in history, most people didn't have. You had what you grew and you had what you, what you raised or what your village raised. We can get food imported from anywhere in the world. We have strawberries year-round. We eat like kings. Are you hot? Just go bump up the AC. Are you cold? Turn on the heat. Are you hungry? Go to the fridge. Get something to eat. Are you bored? Jump on social media. Watch a show. Not just one episode, the whole show. (laughs) Watch a movie. You didn't like that one? Watch a different one. There's so much that we are surrounded by. So many fleeting pleasures. We are rich. We are wealthy. Jesus says that there is thorny soil. There are people who hear God's word and grow, but they are choked out by the thorns. They are distracted by shiny things, and they leave Jesus. There are so many shiny things in the world. There are so many things that we think will give us what we want. Riches lie to us. It says, you want comfort? Here's how to get it. You want security? Build your retirement fund. You want influence? Comes with money. Power? Money will get you that. So then we pursue those things. And as we pursue those things, we leave Jesus. We abandon a sure foundation for one that will crumble. So a question for you and a question for me. What do you want in life? And then, amen. And then how are you pursuing that goal? What do you want and then how do you get it? The answer to these questions will tell you a lot about where you are in life, where your heart is, what you find your security in, what you have built your life on, where you think joy is found. What do you want in life and how are you going to get it? The only way to not be choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches is to know that we are not made for this world. We are made for better things. It's to know that money cannot do what only God can. Only God can provide for you. Only God gives you true joy, true pleasure, true rest, good work. Only God can save you. Finally, and and briefly, because we've kind of already hit it, let's look at the good soil. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. First, I want us to notice what the good soil is not. 
the good soil is not good people. It's not people who look good. This is not moral people. You can't tell good soil by looking at it. It's not people who don't struggle with sin. It's not people who don't go through hard times. The good soil is people who hear the word of God and it transforms them. If you have ears, hear. See with your eyes the beauty of God. Hear with your ears the love and grace of God. Understand with your heart and turn from evil. God will heal you. God will save you. God will sanctify you. He will make you blameless and he will be with you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it sink down deep inside of you, changing every aspect of your life. Where you and God disagree, say, God, you are right. Spend time with him and his word every day. Get to know him better. But don't just read and move on. Don't look in the mirror and forget what you look like. Meditate on his word. Work it out. How does it apply to you? What does it mean for you today? How should you worship God? How should you think? What should you do today? Where you find hardness of heart, where you feel overwhelmed by trials or tempted by riches, let the Lord till your life. Remove the rocks, pull the weeds, and protect you from the enemy. This is not your own doing. Good soil is not because you are a good person. It's because we serve a good God. It is a gift of grace. And then one, one, one final thing, one great thing, is that you may be one soil one day, and God may transform you into good soil the next. Don't lose heart. As you pray for people who have hardness of heart, as you pray for people who have fallen away because of persecutions or hard times or the deceitfulness of riches, pray that the Lord will transform them into good soil. We all know people, and some of us are those people, where we heard God's word so many times, and it bounced right off. The enemy came and snatched it away. And then one day we heard it. God gave us ears and we could hear. God gave us eyes and we saw. Our hearts turned and we were healed. God is merciful and gracious and delights when people come to know him. He very well may change the heart of someone you are praying for. If you are a Christian, God will work and change your heart. He will finish what he has started in you. As we transition to the Lord's Supper, let us come and eat of the bread of life. Let us drink deeply the blood of Jesus. Come in repentance for where your heart is hard or rocky or thorny. And come rejoicing where the Lord has given you good soil, where his word has taken root, where you know and love him deeply. Rejoice in what the Lord is doing in your life. Come thankful that God has saved you and come praying for those in your life that don't know him, who need to hear the word. Here at Chatham, we practice 
open communion, which means if you are a believer, if you are in Christ, come and take to the table. You don't have to be a member here. However, if you are not, don't come. Don't get up and and take because everyone else is. Instead, repent of your sin, turn to the living God, and be healed. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. As we take communion, you can come up front. There's communion up here. You can take up here, or if you need more time to reflect, you can take it back to your seat. If you're in the balcony, communion is up there for you, so you don't have to come down. Uh, We also have prepackaged communion available um, in the foyer, if you would like that. Or if you are unable to get up and would still like to take communion, uh, please raise your hand. An elder will bring communion to you. Um, if, if you see those around you that are wanting communion and the elder doesn't see them, raise your hand and help the elder to, to find them. We want everybody to be able to take of the Lord's Supper. So now, let's pray, and then we will take of communion. Lord, we come before you. Jesus, I am thankful Lord, I have have nothing in me that is good, but you have made my heart receptive to your word. Lord, I pray that you would root out the hardness in my heart that is still there. Lord, as I am beaten down by trials, let your word dwell in me richly and deeply. Lord, as I am tempted by shiny things and the deceitfulness of riches, show me your glory and your beauty. Show me reality where sin leads to death. Lord, I ask this on behalf of all who are here. Lord, we want to know you more, deeper, better. Jesus, we are reminded that that comes only through your death and resurrection. Lord, and that we are reminded as we, as we take that you are coming back. You will make all things right, all things new. Our relationships, our hearts, the world. Lord, you are a good God. You are gracious. But we pray for those who don't know you, that you would open their eyes and their ears. You would heal their hearts. They would turn to you and repent of their sins. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Let's come and take.